In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 18. Moses is the intermediary between God and the people. In many ways, this is incredibly taxing on Moses, who must continually lead, teach, and advise the Israelites while they're in the wilderness. He spends his days settling disputes according to God's will, but his father-in-law Jethro sees a better way. Jethro advises Moses to appoint administrators or judges to help ease the burden of his leadership. Good morning. Today is Friday, December 2nd, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Before we begin, I'd like to thank our underwriter, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translating and publishing work at lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning, I'm delighted to welcome our guest to help us navigate Exodus chapter 18, the Reverend Chris Birnacki, pastor of Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Florence, Alabama. Pastor Birnacki, good morning. Welcome to the program. Hey, thank you so much, and I, I, I appreciate you know the invitation to be on the show with you today. Well, I'm excited to have you. Now, just make sure I'm saying your name right. It is Birnacki, is that right? Yes, yeah, Birnacki. Okay, I'll go with Bernanke then. Yeah, I was sort of leaning heavy into the beer because of, well, you know, beer, right? <laughs> yes, and and that I mean that may be how it's originally pronounced as well, but yeah. Well, as someone who has a unique last name that people always get wrong, I don't mind just asking people how to pronounce it because ours was my name B O O E used to be B U G H E a long time ago before we came over to this country. And uh, it's, I don't think it's ever been pronounced correctly, so who knows? Well, I'll tell you what, brother. Go ahead. Oh, and I was going to say, I mean, we'll, we'll get to this later when we sort of talk about some of the names that are in this text. But, yeah, I mean, we'll, like, it's important to, like, say what's in a name and, and, and the way God wants us to use his name and things like that. So, I mean, I think, yeah, we'll definitely talk yeah. about that type of discussion. Well, I'll tell you what, before we dig in, and I'm eager to, um, tell us a little bit about how God is working through you and your congregation there in Florence. Well, you know, I found it interesting when I was looking at what you guys had discussed yesterday that you had Reverend John Busman on the air, and and John is a friend of mine from the seminary, and he's also a, uh, he's my new circuit visitor, and and, uh, so he's sort of in our area. But I, I'd say that around here when, you know, it's, it's Florence is like northwest Alabama. We are in the heart of the Bible Belt where there's a church on every corner, but they're not Lutheran churches on every corner. And, and so, you know, the, our ministry is a lot of teaching people and, and telling people that we're a conservative Bible-believing church, that 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 believes the Bible, that preaches the Bible, and that focuses on the gospel. And so in that regard, although there's like a church in every corner, we say that what we what we proclaim is something that, that the community really does need to hear, because there are a lot of churches in our area that really emphasize law to people, and, and the Lutheran church emphasizes a lot of grace. And, and so, I mean, that's a lot of what our ministry is teaching people about about you know who we are and why and why we're here. 
you know, one thing I guess I'll also say too, I mean, that, that our church is currently in sort of a transition period because I had received the call to, to, um, to St. Paul's in Wildwood, Missouri. And so, so recently I have accepted that call. And so, yeah, our Redeemer is in a church of transition, I guess is what I'll say. And so, yeah, everyone can just keep the two churches in their prayers. Absolutely. I mean, in, in means of encouraging or by means of encouraging the congregations, really both of them, the one that you are now leaving, uh, you know, they, God knows who he has in store to lead them into the next uh, phase of their ministry. You know, and whoever they end up calling, because the call process can be very taxing, <laughs> uh, whoever they end up calling, it's good to keep in mind that God's going to use that person. It's really impossible to make a mistake. God is going to use the process, and that's something that we can be very grateful for. You're talking about being in the Bible Belt, a church on every corner. This is something I definitely connect with because I'm from the South. I'm from North Carolina in the mountains. And so I appreciate I – did, I didn't grow up Lutheran, so I know exactly what you're talking about. And I also know what you're talking about when you say, you know, well, we have all of our, our Christian friends around us, and, and you're not diminishing their, their Christianity, but, but they really do, and, and I think sometimes really inadvertently, burden the hearts of their people with things like decision theology, multiple baptisms, and, and, and really placing upon their hearts – this this need to keep the law perfectly when when I first came to the Lutheran Church that's what drew me in was that for the first time really in my Christian experience I heard the gospel proclaimed in its full sweetness and so uh, it's good work that that you've been doing down there in your congregation and whoever takes over after you that'll be great yes I thank you very much well, I'll tell you what, we do want to get into our text today, so why don't we start, but I'd like to begin in prayer, and I'd like to ask you to lead us in that prayer. Sure. Well, let us pray. So, Heavenly Father, your word can penetrate our hearts, and you've used it to bring people to faith, to confession, to repentance, to assurance, to instill us with hope and to grow. So use your word today. Some of us are in difficult circumstances, spiritually, relationally, financially. Wherever we are in the basements of our sins and closets of our doubts, uh, we come before you to hear your word. Use it to encourage us, help us to grow in the knowledge of you and your character. We thank you for the work of KFUO and thy strong word. And help us to praise you, to remember you, to serve you and that our service might be missional and evangelistic so that many more may come to know you and grow in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, our text for today is Exodus chapter 18, and the previous chapters have been, well, ones of grumbling, grumbling about not having enough water in the desert, grumbling about not having enough to eat. And, of course, God responds to their grumbling, well, not as he could, with wrath, but according to his good and gracious mercy, he sends quail, he sends manna from heaven, uh, he sends water. So here we are, and the, the tone seems to shift, brother, in Moses's telling of the of the accounts of in the desert, because now we have the situation with Jethro's advice. Is there anything that else you want to lay out there before we just read some of the text and get into it? Sure. I guess I'll just say too is that. 
this does seem to be a really major transitional passage. Um, so, so like, I think a quick or maybe like a cursory read through Exodus, this is like a flyover passage, whereas you might say, well, it's just Moses telling us he had a family reunion. Big deal, right? And why did he record it? Well, you know, it, that might be true, I suppose, if you're thinking it in terms of like Moses had a burning bush moment, and then the Israelites get called out of Egypt, and then God transforms and does amazing miracles, and he gives them manna in the wilderness, and then he turns, he gets water out of a stone, and then there's this amazing defeat to the Amalekites, all from like Exodus 17. And and then we arrive at Exodus 19, and it's like they're, they're at Mount Sinai, and then they're going to get the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. And in some sense, it's like this could be a flyover passage, but, but it's really not. It's, it's a huge transition passage. And, and so um, I at least wanted to maybe I could point out some of the striking overlaps between 17 and 18. And then, and then as you read it, you know, it'll, it'll be seen, you know, more in, in, as we read through it. Sounds great. Like for instance, in like 17 verse eight, the Amalekites come and attack. Um, In 18, five through seven, Jethro comes and greets. In 17, nine, and then 18, 25, men are chosen for specific tasks. Now, in 17.12, Moses sits on a stone, and in 18.13, he sits to judge. In both of the activities, you know, it commences at the next day, and then it goes until the evening. Now, in 17.12 and in 18.18, Moses is said to be tired, and then he's provided in both instances help. So I think you can see at least that 18 and 17 have a ton of overlap, and they're very deliberate in the way that they're being told here. Well, something to definitely keep in mind because those connections are are really hard to see when we just take it chapter by chapter or verse by verse. So I'm glad you brought those out. Um, What I'd like to do is read just the first half of the chapter. That's going to be through verse 12, really just the family reunion part, as you said, and we'll see what we can get from that. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, uh, chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Elizir, for he said, The God of my father was my help and and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. 
Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all of the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. All right. So thus our text so far. And we have Jethro, who Moses makes it extremely clear is his father-in-law <laughs> through lots of repetition. But why don't we start at the top and take us through this? Yeah, well, at least I, you know, the narrative flow is pretty straightforward in the text. So like you have verse 1 through 12 that you read. And, that's, and that recounts Jethro's acknowledgment of God to Moses, or of, of, of the God of Moses. And, and then later on, you'll see in like 13 through 27, just recounts Moses' father-in-law giving the advice of dividing labor. And I think overall, like to summarize, why is this text even here? Like, why are we told it at all if just to be like, aren't we trying to get to the important bits, which is tell us about the Ten Commandments? Um, he wants to tell us this first. And, you know, I, I, think, I think it stands in contrast to what just happened, that, that Jethro the Midianite encounters Moses, and it stands in like a direct contrast to how the Amalekites responded but you could say even more than that how how the how the Egyptians responded too. Um, but this is a like this is an instance where like the you know um, a Midianite. Now I know it's Jeth it's it's his father-in-law, but nonetheless he is a Midianite, and he responds in 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 somewhat you know a faithful fashion. And, and so it's like the first instance in the Book of Exodus where like faith is going beyond the Israelite community. And I think that's what's very important about this. Absolutely. I and mean, there's so much to be taken even from this so-called flyover passage. So we have Jethro, who elsewhere is called Ruel, right? Reuel. And that would be uh, what he was called when, when, well, Moses first encountered him with the girls at the well. And now we have Jethro, and he's mentioned by both names and numbers and other places so, you know, it's easy to account for two names, right, Pastor? I mean, plenty of people have two names, Jethro and Ruel. We have we think of Simon and Peter. We think of Paul and Saul. Uh, we think of Israel and Jacob. I mean, of course, we have some explanations for some of those other names. But in this case, to have a couple different names to be used in different places is not unusual. I only bring that up because I want people to remember that, you know, this Jethro, it, it isn't a different person. It's the same one that Moses had encountered right during his burning of the bush situation. But the fact that he comes here now, now they're already really out at Mount Sinai, right? It says that, that they came and they were at the, the mountain of God, right? Moses, verse five, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wives to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. In the narrative, the people of Israel don't get to the 
mountain of God until the next chapter, chapter 19. So, you know, is this being inserted beforehand? Um, I, you know, probably, right, in terms of the way that Moses is telling the story after the fact. Uh, or And also consider, you know, we don't know where Mount Sinai is, but it seems like it would be pretty close to where Jethro is, which, you know, is just east, east of the Gulf of uh, Aqaba, which is, in, uh, the, is where Midian is. So maybe Mount Sinai is around there. I'm not that we're going to figure it out on this program. But, you know, talk about some of those different issues, right? We see, we see these in this text. It tells us a little bit about uh, the locations and the reality that this is happening in time and in place. Yeah, so, you know, so, so I did, you know, if you, if you take a look at, like, Deuteronomy, and I think it begins in, like, Deuteronomy 1, 6 through 10, it recounts a very similar story, but it's different. Um, I was a little bit hesitant to try to like um, to harmonize them, you know. So like the question could be, does this happen before they get to Sinai? Um, and then of course you would translate this text as he, they were near the mountain but weren't actually there yet. And then does it happen again after they get there? Um, and, and the answer is, is sometimes I'm hesitant to try to uh, to, to harmonize accounts, and then I want to just let this stand. Now, if it's true that it that it happened um, later, and he's he puts it now, then it becomes very obvious that he's very much trying to emphasize it. So, you know, in the Hebrew, it doesn't really say exactly where they are. It kind of it just says Har Ha Elohim. And that leaves us to supply the preposition. And so is it like at the Mount of God? Is it near the Mount of God? Is it on the Mount of God? And, and the answer is, is we don't really know. Um, but it's probably, you know, it could be near. Now, I had the Young's literal translation because I just thought, I thought it was interesting that it doesn't make that, it doesn't say. It's sort of, it's, so this is what it said, that, and Jethro father-in-law of Moses cometh and his son and his wife unto Moses unto the wilderness where he is encamping the Mount of God. Right. So it, it didn't really say near or, or around or on or anything like that or by, it just kind of said the Mount of God. Either way though, I do think it's a reference to the Mount of God, you know, as both a location but it's also sort of foreshadowing what, what is to come, you know, that, that it's, this is going to command our full attention now and something big is going to happen soon. And I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of, you know, this is where they're on their way to. Maybe they're not right there yet, uh, and they're certainly not immediately there yet because we do have in Exodus 19 what that looks like. Referring to Deuteronomy chapter 1 verses 9 through 18 um, in terms of harmonizing them, you know, I have typically not understood that as two different times that this happened. Uh, it makes sense to me, and people are certain to disagree, that uh, one, in this case, we have a little bit more context. We have the context of Jethro making the suggestion, and this is really in the second half of our text. And then also uh, in 19, we just really have it focused on, on Moses delivering what has been decided to the people. Uh, but in terms of the location, yeah, I think that's good, right? Yeah, they're just near it or on their way to it. 
Um, certainly, we know for a fact that Moses is writing all of this after the fact. So he could have thematically included this section here, if nothing else, because of that transition in the narrative that you were talking about earlier. We are looking now to move from the grumbling and the uncertainty and the, uh, and, the, and the trials and tribulations out in the wilderness. And now we're moving into when God answers those things with his law. So, you know, in the next section, and we'll talk about that uh, later on, probably after the break, you know, we see that Moses is already kind of becoming this judge, and he's certainly implementing some sort of rules, regulations, and laws to the people. You know, did they exist before? Are they really from the Ten Commandments? And this has been moved thematically. Um, I, I think it's interesting, but as you said, I don't really think it matters, and we probably don't 100% know for sure. But yes, thank you for bringing out that in the Hebrew there really is, you know, no uh, directional or, or you know location here. Encamped at the mountain of God could be, you know, nearby. It could be any of those things. Um, and so yeah. another thing. Oh, go ahead. Pardon me. Oh, I, and I was going to say, I mean, you know, because there was another instance where it's like it's just kind of vague, you know. And I think probably studying Exodus, you just, you know, there's something you just as a reader have to have to accept that you're not going to know everything all the time, you know, like, but another one, as we're like just beginning into verse two, it's like after Moses had sent away his wife, Zipporah, um, we don't really know when he sent her away. I mean, we know that like way back in chapter four, he chose to take Zipporah and his sons. But then you hear nothing about them after that. And then here you see that he sent them away. And then, like, the question is sort of when. Did he send them away um, before the plagues in order to protect them? Well, I don't know. You know, did he send them away maybe after the great, the great crossing of the Red Sea? Uh, well, I don't know. Um, did he send her, did he send them away like directly after chapter 17 when when um the Amalekites had this you know had their battle and they won and so he wanted he he sends his wife away to to relay the message uh, possibly so so it's you know it's another one of those we don't exactly know when this happened we're not told but what we are told, and, and and you're absolutely right in terms of we don't know when this happened. Um, we are told about all the hardships they went through, and we know the character of Moses. So it certainly isn't inconsistent with what we know about Moses that at one of these points that you mentioned, he clearly sent her away. I think it's safe to say that there that the reason was to protect her. Uh, but again, you know that's left unsaid. It's left for us to discern or frankly not discerned, since it's not really any of our business. Sometimes the scriptures are telling us things that help fill out the narrative, but not every single thing in scripture is for us to allegorize or implement as if it were either law or gospel that we must be using in some way, uh, which, which is something I teach my catechumens and even my people. You know, They grew up with this idea of you take anything from the Bible and you have to mark it L or G, L for law, G for gospel. The Bible speaks in law and gospel. Well, that's true, but the Bible also speaks in um, narrative filler. <laughs> and people have taken that yes. when I've said that to mean, oh, 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 so you're saying it doesn't matter. No, God certainly doesn't do anything without a purpose. It's just sometimes the purpose is to help us understand what's going on. 
Yeah, yes. And I, and I think like re- the emphasis in the beginning it is really being, you know, it's emphasized by the names when he when when the names of the sons get repeated and then we're told what they mean. So like 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 you know whether and when they sent her away is less important than the reminder that Gershom means I have become an alien in a foreign land. You know, he he was an alien in, in in Midian, but he was the Israelites were also foreigners in Egypt. And then Eliezer, um, my father, my father's God was my helper. Um, he he saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. And of course, he saved him from more than just the sword of Pharaoh. But but nonetheless, I think the mean the the names matter. And we're being reminded of the deliverance of God, and and, um, you, uh, and so I think that that's an important question. You know, um, in general, when you come to texts, I think in the Old Testament, the names like always matter. You know, so it's like you, you're reading Elijah, the story of Elijah, and and his name means Yahweh is my God, as opposed to Baal, is everybody else's God. You see, and so it's like even his name tells you what the story was. Or Micah means like who is like God. And then that's the that's like the question that is answered throughout the rest of the book. So I wanted to at least say like Moses' name means to draw out, which seems to be exactly what the book of Exodus is about. And then Jethro's name means to overflow, which I thought was interesting, but at the same time, He's like so delighted by this news. You know, he's delighted and he praises. And so so I, I at least saw that connection that Jethro is just is overflowing as he hears, hears the news. It's like Mary or something like what is deepest within her comes out, you know, when she when she hears the news from an angel and she just sings the Magnificat. And, and so this is the same type of idea, I guess, is that when he, he hears of this news, he's delighted by it. And he is indeed delighted by it. You know, he comes, Moses goes out and he kisses his father-in-law, bows down, which is, you know, out of respect for his father-in-law's position. And uh, and then he tells him, you know, he just probably can't wait to fill him in, to tell Jethro all about all the things that Yahweh had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians, all the plagues, the Red Sea, even even the water from the rock and the manna from heaven. And, and as you alluded to, verse 9, and Jethro rejoiced for all the good that Yahweh had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So when we come back from our break, I want to talk a little bit about this. Verses 10 through 12 talk about Jethro praising Yahweh, but he's a Midianite priest, you know, and, and it's going to be difficult for us to know for certain, as you've already alluded, but I'd like to talk about, you know, is this conversion? Is this Jethro adding Yahweh to his shelf of other gods, but ag- acknowledging that Yahweh is clearly much greater than all the others? Uh, you know, what is this, right? And, and, and then, of course, they burn an offering, and then they use the, the burnt offering in part of their table fellowship together. Lots of things for us to continue to talk about, and for us to think about while we take a few minutes as a break. 
So folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Bernanke and I will continue our study of Exodus chapter 18. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Chris Bernacki, pastor of Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Florence, Alabama. Before we dive back into the text, I just want to remind you that if you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. I answer every email I receive. All right. Now, Pastor, before the break, we were talking about the overflowing of joy that Jethro, the father-in-law, displayed at hearing all the things that Yahweh had done. And we know from our previous chapters that the drawing out, as you pointed out, that God had been doing not only of, of Moses from the river, but from the peop- for the people of Israel out of Egypt, um, he did that in ways that got glory over the gods of the Egyptians. Yahweh showed himself to be really the only true God, but even from the perspective of the most hardened uh, polytheistic uh, pagan, they would have to admit that this God at the very least was the most powerful, or at least the only one that's ever actually done anything. So Jethro says, blessed be Yahweh who's delivered your hand out of the hand of the Egyptians and delivered his people. And then in verse 11, he says, now I know that Yahweh is greater than all God's because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people, they being presumably the other gods. Talk, take us through that a little bit. You know, is this is this the first occasion uh, of of a pagan coming to faith? Is it just the hints of that? What's going on? Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's a difficult question to answer for sure, and I, I guess because it's like. You almost might expect that Jethro might stay with them, you know, or something, and then and then he ends up leaving. And I'm not 100% sure about this, but I think you don't end up really hearing about Jethro after this either. And so then it's a little bit unclear. I mean, we do know that the Midianites have um, end up being problematic in the least into the book of numbers as they're like trying to enter the problem uh the prom the promised land so it's somewhat unclear but at the same time i want to say that it's a good hint that that like why would this story get recorded and i think because one of the central points 
is that this Midianite responds favorably to the Lord. And at least that's what I can say. I don't know if it's 100% a, a turn in faith, but it's definitely a response that's very favorable in contrast to the other ones um, around him that don't respond in praise. Well, this makes a lot of sense to me because that's the way it, it appears, in my experience, to work with God. Very rarely do people have these you know, road to Emmaus, blinding light, threshold shaking moments where they come to faith, despite what a lot of our brothers and sisters in Christ who look for those conversion moments or uh, tell us. Oftentimes, people will slowly come to faith. They quite let go of their other gods, whether they be literal false gods because they're pagans or whether they be, you know, the ways in which that they've always lived. Say I'm thinking of the modern context, you know, someone slowly becomes a believer. And, and and perhaps there is some point at which the Holy Spirit worked upon that person's heart and in an instant they believe, but at least the way it is experienced by people, I don't think that a lot of them say, oh yeah, yesterday I didn't believe and today I'm completely on fire, 100% ready to be a, a priest for God. No, it, it seems a little bit more like this. Jethro, People who have been brought up, I don't know how old Jethro is, but you know Moses is in his 80s, right? People who have been brought up in a particular faith or way of living, they see the works of God. They experience them. God shows his power and omnipotence, and they go, yeah, yeah, your God is, is amazing, but they're not quite there yet. And I, I don't know about you, Pastor, but this speaks a little comfort to me. Because so many people think, well, the Holy Spirit works when and where he pleases. Well, we certainly confess that's from the small catechism, but he doesn't work in a way that's like instantaneous. So if you're out there and you're working on your on your children, adult children, or, or your friends or your neighbors or your family or just somebody that's at work and you've been witnessing to them and you start to see a little bit of progress, rejoice in that. Don't get discouraged because it's not instantaneous. Now, that's my opinion. Um, I don't know, Pastor. Do you have an opinion? Well, I'm, yeah, I, I mean, I think that you're very right. Um, and, and um, you know, I guess one thing that I'd want to say, too, is that it's like I find it very interesting that, like, when, when God tells us what the point of the Exodus was, in, in, in Exodus, let's see, 9.16, he says, my name might, so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Um and so so I, I think that there's something to be said then. You know, that word proclaim is the same word that gets translated in verse 8 as Moses told. Um, and so I'm, I guess I'll say more about that. Is, that. is that like I expected when I looked at the Septuagint to see the word Caruso, you know, that, that's like John the Baptist. Is in, the, is in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance, and the word is Caruso, you know? It, but that's not the word there. And, and it, it's de-egesita. And here's the thing. I, I found that word to be a little more relational. Like, I don't know everything about Greek or something, but I, like, found it to be relational. It means to, like, tell, relate, and describe. And that's what I would just encourage people who who need you know who who are like dealing with maybe their relatives or or a friend or something and just describe to them 
the the works of God, you know, as you know them in the Bible, or the works of God as you know them in your life, um, and you relate them to people. So that that's more than just like the 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 uh, the corner the corner preacher, right? Who's just like publicly announcing something. Moses seems to be relating this, and maybe it did take time. You know, it wasn't like this the the road to Emmaus moment for him. Hundred percent. That's well said. Anything else you want to put out there before we read the second half of our chapter? Well, you know, um, I guess I'll I'll bring up just a couple of things that, like, you, you know, I I think the burnt offering and other sacrifices is, is pretty important. I think it's actually the first time. There's a there's actually an offering in the wilderness. I mean, Moses has been saying to Pharaoh that we need that you need to let us um, have offerings and worship um, in the wilderness. But I don't think that there's any time that that actually happens uh, until now. Now, later on in the book, like chapter 20 and following, you're going to see that there's all kinds of references to sacrifices and, and offerings. But this is like one of the first ones, uh, oddly enough, coming from Jethro. But another thing, it's linked with, a, you know, this is all linked with a meal, which I find very interesting. It's not the first meal in Exodus. Um, you know, you had the Passover, which is amazing meal. And you also had like things like manna, the manna. But it does seem like when you have a meal, it is like a meal proceeds an amazing climactic climactic moment and because even in back in like chapter 2 verse 20 Moses has a meal with Jethro they eat together and then the following chapter he encounters God in a burning bush and so you know here he has another meal with Jethro and it should be like well what's what's going to happen now well he's going to get the 10 commandments and so it like foreshadows a, a major climactic moment. Very fascinating connection. And we also see here a little bit about, uh, you know, it's not been established just yet, but a little bit of table fellowship, right? Because they're joining together and they're celebrating. It's not just the family reunion at this point because Moses and Aaron are there, but then they call all of the the, the elders of Israel. So it's a it's a whole group of them really celebrating what God has done, which I think also makes a great transition into what happens next because the chapter verse 13 says the next day. So we are now in the next day and we, we get the, we get what happens next, which is, which is interesting. Let's do it. Verses 13 through the rest of the chapter, which is verse 27. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses, his father-in-law, saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. 
You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now, obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide for themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the father, or the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any smaller matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Fascinating to me because we see here Moses. He's the interceder, the intercessor between the people and God. This is how God has called him to be. And the solution to his struggles comes not from Yahweh, comes not from a direction of God, but from his uh, arguably only barely believing father-in-law. It's a very practical matter. His father-in-law looks at him and goes, you're, you're going to kill yourself. You know, as a CV, I once told a, told a pastor, you know, Christ has already called us, or, sorry, Christ has not called us to sacrifice ourselves for the church, right? God's already done that. So it's, this is the connection I see here. He's running himself to death. He's not able to do the important things. We see this mimicked, of course, when Christ comes and the church is established and the disciples decide that they need people to, they can't serve tables. They should, they should be suitably talking about the, the Bible. But I see here also a connection to the coming up is the giving of the commandments. And there needs to be some sort of judiciary system in place. Because once the commandments come on the scene, then there's going to be a lot more administrating of those commandments. But at the same time, we also see some rules and laws mentioned here, which I'm sure you'll bring to our mind. So, yeah, take us through that. Just to, I'm just sort of pointing out what I see. Uh, I'd like to hear what you think. Well, like, um, yeah, I think, I think like what you brought up, the fact that it is a little puzzling that Moses needs to have this advice, you know, through the channel that he received. But, but I think it's, I guess it's interesting to say at least that God does this all the time. You know, this is like God likes to indirectly work in a sense. And I think he, even Jethro brings that up, you know, that it, it's like if you see like this, this advice fitting to you and, and may, you know, may God be with you. So it's like it's, it, it's both of these things, Moses, you know, it, it's, it's God's advice too. Um, but yeah, I, I think in general that, that God works like this more than any other way, kind of works through means. And, and here he's working through Jethro. Um, I mean, the, the, it's highly applicable, you know, to, I think it's applicable to everybody, but I mean, it's certainly within a church context, 
I think pastors can get can go through like burnout because they're doing they're they're like doing everything. And I know that someone could say to you, I mean, here's your problem. You should have delegated. And, and sometimes my answer is I know, but sometimes it was easier for me just to do it than to try to find someone else to do it. But but nonetheless, what happens is, is you just you can't do it all. And and in this, I mean, I can't fathom being being the leader of of so many people and think that you're going to like be the judge over everybody, especially as you're going to have like this codified law coming up. How are you going to be the judge over everything? And so, so, I mean, yeah, it, it becomes very practical because Moses can't do it all. You know, not only would he go through burnout, but he just literally can't do it, you know, and, they, like the commandments aren't meant to be like ornaments for like Moses bookshelf. I mean, they're supposed to be taught, taught to the people before the people and enforced. And, and how are they going to be enforced if Moses is the only judge? That makes a lot of sense, right? He can't physically do it. It's just not going to work. And the burnout issue is a problem too. I think it also speaks indirectly to how we should approach those who've been placed in authority over us. You just said, I couldn't imagine being put over so many people. Well, you know, some estimates up to 2.3 million people. You know, he literally yeah. could not do this and still do the duties that he's been called to do as well. And I also think, as I, as I was listening to you and considering what you were saying, we also have this idea that, yes, God didn't come down and say, Moses, this is what you have to do. But every good idea doesn't necessarily come directly from God, you know, engraved in a tablet. God works through means, of course, as you pointed out. But, you know, it's not a bad thing for him to take, frankly, advice from his father-in-law, which would have been culturally appropriate for him to respect his father-in-law's opinion. And he could it's not like he could say, well, you know, unless he was a complete 100 percent believer in Yahweh, then I'm going to disregard everything he says. And doesn't that speak to our situation today, too? How often maybe do we look out into the ether and we say, well, we're looking for some advice or some ideas, but I only want it from lifelong LCMS Lutherans. You know, That would be a really poor way to, to seek advice or try to grow and learn. Uh, and so I think that that speaks to you know, some things that we have to deal with today too. Sure, and, and, like, and the fact that – I mean maybe something could be said that Jethro was a priest – and so he has some similar experiences, and and he has good advice. So even even though, yeah, his he 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 wouldn't have been a believer in Yahweh. He he still has he still has good advice, you know, on on how to lead people, and, and you know had some practical experience beforehand. Because he got, you know, he has he he has pretty detailed advice, really, um, about about like, you know, you know how how to represent the people before God, um, about teaching the people God's laws, and, and selecting capable men to judge, you know, and he even tells what a capable men to judge is, you know, someone who fears God, trustworthy men. Who who hate dishonest gain? Uh, I mean that I guess that's something that a leader 
uh, you know, bribery and stuff is something that, well, leaders often struggle with. And, and so, so um, you know, th- this gets brought up even here. And, and then he, he says to appoint them, you know, over thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. So he, he really does have very detailed um, advice to give. And I get the feeling that these divisions aren't exactly arbitrary. They had been moving through the wilderness in stages. There certainly are the elders of Israel, which are not necessarily the same men who end up getting chosen for these positions. But in terms of the, the thousands, you know, perhaps that's a, a clan size or a family size of the hundreds, you know, divisions within it. Fifties, tens would be really just like a family. So we see here that it's also hierarchical in the sense that people are being judged by people who they know, who are their peers and leaders in their peer groups, people who recognize that what what life is like for them. Because you have two and a half million people, they don't even know each other. I mean, I think we think of this group as this all homogenous group, and they all know each other, and they all know it's just impossible. So this is like a major metropolitan city. And so we have enough people here where now, you know, Jethro's advice is that they be their judges be those who live amongst them. And that's some concepts that continue today. You know, when we choose judges, even in our American system, uh, on the local level, those judges are voted on. They're brought into office out of the competent peers in their community. When we select juries, it's important that it's represented by their peers. Now, I don't think it's always perfect, but the point is these concepts are, are good and they've st- stood the test of time. Yes, and, and I wonder if if this were implemented well, if if it could also help help people on like sort of the the individual basis who are say grumbling, you know, as as their mm-hmm. leaders can hear these things. Um, it doesn't have to get so bad that it turns into a riot, and it's like they all of a sudden want to kill Moses or something. You know, it, it mm-hmm. wouldn't have to get to that point if if local leaders were hearing these things and, and then kind of dealing with them. You know, we even we even do that in, in like in our in our like polity that it's like, you know, if there's something going on, then you would talk to your circuit visitor and then the circuit visitor may or may not need to talk to the, dis- the district president or something. But the district president can't do everything. You know, they, they can't they they can't necessarily talk to you every time you need them and so so even we break things up into smaller groups because well it just it makes sense and that's the only way to do it on a microcosm we have Matthew 18 too where you know if you have a problem with someone settle it between you and them but then if that doesn't work then you bring in some neutral witnesses and if if that still doesn't work then you bring in the church etc so even in even in just in terms of the underlying concept where you deal with an issue before it becomes a major incident, that is preferable. But Moses is still there. Jethro still says, listen, you're still the intermediary between God and the people. If things are very serious, then obviously they come to you. And by coming to him, it's not really that they're coming to him. It's that they're taking the matter to God. You know, they don't really care what Moses says. They're only going to Moses because he has the ear and 
of, of God and also can hear God's God's direction. Yeah, and one thing that like I at least found interesting was the fact that I like I saw that like Jethro sort of returning the favor. You know, Jethro is now here helping Moses, whereas Moses comes on the scene early on in like Exodus two to to give aid to Jethro and and his daughters. But but both of them sort of result in like shepherding more effective. You know, that that literally that was a hint in, in Exodus two, it was about shepherding um a flock, but then but now it, it's more about shepherding God's people. But either way, the intervening of the other like makes makes their shepherding more effective. And so so anyway, Jethro is like returning the favor here. Agreed. Yeah, he's stunned by the initiativeness of what's going on, and I like what you said. He returns the favor. Well, I'll tell you what. We are at the end of our program. We have just a couple minutes left. Uh, I'm going to give those minutes to you. Just share whatever you'd like to share. Sum up. Uh, give a message of gospel. It's all up to you. Well, I mean, yeah, so I, I mean, I think like the central theme of this is 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 the fact that like that we see Jethro give give a statement of faith um as we like we sort of transitioned out of like thanksgiving but but like you know that that message was the 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 10 lepers and and then only one of them returned to give thanks you know and 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 here we see a midianite of all people i mean i know he's related to to Moses, but a lot of times that's how it, how how it works, right? That like, you know, that that you work on people you know, people that are close to you, people you work with, and you tell them, and and relay the message, and and um, and and God works in that, and and faith, and 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 sort of faith is sparked, you know, so that's what we see in this text, and although we can't we can't say too much more than that. I think it is it is a real encouragement that that God works in these kind of these, these small these small ways, right? Even as God then works through Jethro of all people, right? He doesn't like work through Aaron. He doesn't show up and then he's like, hey, I have a good idea. It's through Jethro. So like God is at work through all of this, even though we don't always know exactly how. Amen to that, brother. If God can work through all the people that he does, including Jethro, including Moses and Aaron, he can certainly work through us too, and that's reassuring. Well, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Chris Bernacki, pastor of Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Florence, Alabama. Thank you, Pastor, so much for being on the show. Hey, thank you so much. And thank you, dear friends, for ending your week with us. Be sure to come back on Monday as we turn the page to Exodus chapter 19. The people will have arrived at Mount Sinai, and soon God will give them the Ten Commandments. But not yet. There are preparations to be made and people to be consecrated. We'll cover all of this next week and more. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.